can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. Welcome to the One Mic, One Voice Show, building the collective conscious, a show that is created to give space where your voice, ideas, and informed opinions can be heard, appreciated, and debated. I am Michael Eric Owens. Oh, man, One Mic, One Voice Show, Black in Studios. Once again, man, I, I can't argue with the weather. Uh, we had some crazy days uh, this past week. Shut things down for a couple of days. I didn't mind it, though. You know what I'm saying? I'm a type of brother. I can work from home. It doesn't matter. Geography doesn't matter. But I know a lot of folks uh, had to get back up in the rush. But it is Sunday. Man, kind of kind of muggy out there. Got some humidity going on. Good thing I cut my hair. My hair used to be, you know, I had to throw back in the day. I might be by drop on me. <laughs> but let me tell you, folks, we have an exciting show today. Man, when we look around this country, we look at, uh, man, the political debacle that we're in. And um, just, uh, I mean, this, uh, I'm calling the president did this, uh, <laughs> this, uh, what you call a victory lap. Man, he 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 did a victory lap with a baseball bat. <laughs> He's knocking out everybody. No humility, humility, man. And uh, we are just in a very very difficult situation. So when you when you need information, let me repeat that. When you need information, you got to go to the experts, folks. You know what I mean. Uh, we can we can look at Facebook, we can look at Instagram, but it's nothing like having folks that are in the trenches when it comes to our uh, current political struggles. And uh, they're not old people; they're young people. You hear that? The, you know, the children are our future. They're not children, but they're younger than me, so they're young people. Um, but they have uh, established credentials uh, in this area of discussion. You know, um, they're very closely associated uh, with the Democratic Party as well as social justice. Um, and so it is an honor to have these three individuals on the show. And so what we're going to do, we're going to briefly have them introduce themselves and talk a little bit about themselves. We'll start off with Josh. Hey, thanks you. Thank you so much for having us uh, on the show. My name is Joshua Harris Till. I am currently the national president of the Young Democrats of America, uh, the first African American man to hold that position. Uh, I've been working in politics for almost a decade now. Then everything from congressional to state house to municipal. Uh, even some tribal council races as well. And so been doing this political thing for a long time, focused on youth outreach currently and, and how we can actually make sure that we are doing what is necessary to win. And I think that youth outreach is like one of the most important aspects of that. Great. All right. Hey, everyone. My name is Sasha Primo Shaw. Um, I am currently the president of the Young Democrats of Oklahoma. Um, I am Josh's successor. 
And um, I'm the first black woman to hold the post for Young Democrats of Oklahoma. Um, I'm also chair of the Native American Caucus for Young Democrats of America and the vice chair for the Black Caucus for the Young Democrats of America. Wonderful. Hello, everybody. My name is Leandre Lattimore. I am also the policy director for the Young Democrats of Oklahoma. Um, I'm a little younger than these guys in here, um, so a lot of my work has been done at the collegiate level. I go to Oklahoma City University. I'm a graduating senior this year. Um, I am the SGA senator for humanities there, and I'm also the former um, Black Student Association president. Thank you. Leandre, we had uh, actually, uh, he was on a panel uh, for a discussion that we had about the rising student violence on uh, college campuses here in Oklahoma City. Uh, he did a phenomenal job um, expressing himself and his views and, and, and laying down solutions to us moving forward. I'm excited to have you guys here. Uh, let's just jump right in. Okay, we had the Iowa caucus. Okay. And we still don't know who won the Iowa caucus. Now, to me, and let me just say this, okay? So, um, I'm an independent, have been for many, many years, right? Um, but I'm not necessarily straight down the middle. I'm left-leaning. Um, has a lot to do with the skin that I'm draped in, but I am. Um, but, man, it just seems to me like, the Democrats are struggling, man. And so let's talk about what happened in Iowa. Let's talk about the candidates that are there. Uh, what, what, are we, what are you seeing from your perspective? You want me to go first? Since y'all both looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> so first and foremost, um, it's the caucus system. And I have so many problems with the caucus system. Because really, you know, that persuasion that exists to be able to make people support a candidate one way or the other can oftentimes look like intimidation. And um, what we saw with this one is they were trying to innovate the system and they prepared this app. Uh, they didn't teach anybody how to use the app. They didn't have a, a dry run. They didn't tell people to download it before and actually look at it. And so when everybody was downloading the app the day of, um, and trying to put in the information, it crashed. And so instead of having like the app and also a backup plan, they didn't have the staff to take over the phone calls that people were trying to call in so that we can get the results like we needed to. And so people were waiting on hold for like an hour trying to give the results to the, to the party. And, of course, they were getting frustrated. People were leaving the realignments. They were allowing people to leave after, the, after their first alignment vote. And so then you had people who would have probably, you know, tilted the, the race one way or another who were already back at the house. And I think that really it's a it's an outdated system. We don't need to use it. I like the ballot system myself, you know, where you go in, you make your vote and you leave. Uh, and I think that Iowa in particular definitely shouldn't be the first state on top of that. It doesn't represent what the country actually looks like. And so they spend so much time there trying to talk to these people. Um, and then we get a, a, a winner, whoever that may be. I think it was like tied between Bernie and, and Pete the last time I looked at it. We get a winner who the country is saying that these people are the ones who are going to be at the forefront, but they don't actually represent the entire majority of the country. And so it's not a good system. Um, 
the results uh, were very lacking. It made us look bad on a national stage. Everybody was watching, including the Republicans, and it made us just look weak as a party. And I think that we really fundamentally have to start looking at things and being more intentional about making sure our representation looks right, but also making sure that the processes and the infrastructure are great so that we're above uh, being questioned. You know, I feel about the caucuses the same way I feel about the Electoral College, but, you know, that's a whole nother show. Uh, you're right. It's not a representation of, uh, of what the, Jamaica, the makeup of the country is. And I think um, it's just so uh, problematic to me that um, so much emphasis is put on somewhere like Iowa. Okay. Because if you look at the history, right, you look at the candidates that have won in Iowa have went on to get the nomination. And I'm just thinking, how twisted is that? It's too it's too front loaded. It's not the state that should be. I agree. But Leandre, what do you think? Um, I mean, I kind of agree with them pretty much what they were saying. Um, from outside looking in, you know, especially um, with the caucuses, because getting into politics, I had to pretty much teach myself about a lot of this. So. You know, it's been a while trying to figure out how exactly, like, the caucuses work. Like you said, you know, it's, it's a lot of complications with it. And um, I'm more in support of, like, a, a ballot system, like, where you just go in and just cash your vote. I think it, it's it's a lot more easier to understand, too, especially for people that are trying to get into politics. You know, watching this from, like, your home on TV, you know, you're not really understanding what's going on. Because, I mean, I hear so many people even, like, asking me, like, you know, why is Iowa so important? Like, what's so important about Iowa? And, you know, I'm like, you know, that's actually a good question. Yeah. You know, it's like, why is it? But, you know. And, and, and it, it, you know, Josh, your point, it, it comes on the heels of what? Of, of this guy uh, not being held accountable in the Senate. So it looks like a victory lap. And then he had the court decision um, that was um, based upon, I, I can't remember right now, but he had a victory in the courts. And so this happens, you know, Nancy tears up the script. I, I think she should do it at him, actually. You know what I'm saying? That, that would have been gangster right there. You know what I mean? Just not scripting up a pal. You know what I mean? But 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 say what do you what do, what do you think? I mean, it comes. How does it? Josh, you talked about it. Looks, it it makes the Democrats look weak, right? That mm-hmm. that. What are your what what are your thoughts on that? So <clears throat> I agree 100 percent with both Josh and Leandre as far as it um, not being. Um, a good look for the Democrats, but also, I mean, Iowa is 94% white and it's not representative of the electorate as a whole, but also um, if you also look at how discriminatory it is towards young people, working people, like you're at those caucuses, like for several hours at a time, like what, six, seven hours that they have to be there to be able to cast their votes. So um, with folks with disabilities, they wouldn't have been able to participate. So, I mean, in general, it's just not, um, representative of our electorate and I would like to see that system change or at least not have them be the first state because that's just you know I mean and then on top of that like the weather conditions you know you're trying to caucus in a blizzard and I'm like no nah, I'm good yeah, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. would stay home alone for that <laughs> so so let's talk about the candidates I mean I you know <laughs> I don't want to put a, put you on the spot, but you you are on the one mic one voice show. So you did sign that little piece of paper that said we will not be held responsible for any of your answers. Uh, so, <laughs> but I, I, let's let's talk about the can Joe Biden. What's talk to me from a young person's perspective of Joe Biden? 
I'm just gonna keep looking at me. <laughs> yeah. No, so um, I want you to lose your job now. Don't look back here. Don't don't don't. No, nah, no, nah, I'm I'm good. I uh, <laughs> I only work for the young Dems at, at present. Um, I think that you know when we when we look at Joe Biden and we look at a lot of candidates. Me personally, I think I have a different perspective because I've been in politics so long, and and I think we see a push right now for a super progressive candidate, somebody who's going to be inspiring, somebody who's going to rally the troops. Um, and then you see the more moderate candidates who are more boring. People don't really like care about what they're talking about. It's not the person that's like going to rah, rah, uh, up the democratic party. I would prefer we have a boring president because I, I want to go back to the days to where we didn't think about politics. We wasn't worried about what the president was doing. He wasn't doing nothing crazy. He wasn't tweeting in the middle of the night, like let Congress pass the bills that they going to pass. Hopefully we have a democratic, uh, house and Senate in 2020 um, after this election, but I want to have uh, a very dynamic Congress and I want to have a really boring president who just signs the bills and make sure that our relationships with the world is good. So when you look at somebody like Joe Biden, um, honestly, in the way he interacts with African-Americans, as far as um, our vote is concerned, you know, a lot of people make fun of him for it and, and say it's pandering and say he just invokes he just invokes um, Obama's name as often as possible. And and he does. But he does that because that's who he rode with. And so, like, that's who Joe Biden is. Joe Biden ain't never changed for nobody. And he probably not going to change for nobody. Uh, and he's not going to be the most dynamic person um, as a president. But what I think he will do is sign the bills that the House and Senate send to him. And so we get the House and Senate back. He's going to sign those bills. He's not going to veto anything that the party supports. And so that's the kind of person I want in office, somebody that I don't got to think about. And, you know, I you, you bring up a point uh, and we, we're going to stay on Biden for a minute. But you bring up a point, um, this idea of excitement. This this is what bothers me about our electorate. And this is part of, of the genius of Obama. I love the brother. Right. Part of his genius to incite people, you know, to electrify people. But um, is that why we vote? Is that why we get engaged? Is that why we pay attention? Because someone can excite us. That's more like an NBA game. Right. I watch my favorite team because, you know, it does something for me. We vote because it does something for not just for us, but our family, our country, our communities. I think that whole idea, that whole conversation around we need somebody that can excite the base no we need somebody that can speak to the issues and we need to understand that it's not about excitement it's not about jumping around it's about going in there and casting your vote because you didn't see what 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 happened when you didn't right and as black folks i'm looking around this room we all one color right right we don't vote we're gonna come back to that well, let's stay on Biden, right? Sage? So I have a slightly different view from Mr. President over here um, about um, Vice President Biden. Um, so, uh, and I won't lose my job over this, but um, <clears throat> state president. He didn't even visit Oklahoma. doesn't have a presence here, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> I'm just looking at the campaigns I do. Uh, so I think that it's important for people to criticize Biden and other and actually all of the candidates because as a black community 
you know, we are like giving these candidates that, you know, oh, you know, like I rode with Obama or like in Bernie's case, oh, I marched with Dr. King or, you know, any of them, you know, like they have a connection to the black community or they've done something with the black community, but we still need to be critical of them because we can't just like accept anybody and like not be critical of them. Like that's one thing I learned. I worked for Bernie in 2016. Let me just get that out. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, that was like, Folks were critical then, you know, as they should have been, because, I mean, while he was electrifying, while he was, you know, very um, receptive to the younger vote, the youth vote, um, because young Democrats even now, even now more so support Bernie Sanders. um, At the end of the day, like you can't just like take them at face value, because as we saw um, at the debate um, when he answered that question about Joe Biden and that op ed that his uh, co-campaign chair did, Nina Turner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he said Joe is my friend. I mean, he didn't support her, in my opinion. And so that sent off a firestorm, especially on Twitter with black women. (laughs) And and as it should have, because it just wasn't a good look for him. And, you know, at the end of the day, like we have to remember these people have faults and we still need to examine them a little bit closely. I mean, because Joe Biden is Uncle Joe, but... At the end of the day, like he supported certain bills, you know, and I mean, so yeah, that's just my take on okay. it. Okay, okay, DeAndre, what's your, what's your thoughts? Um, I kind of see both ends of this, honestly. Um, I kind of see what Josh is talking about when he's saying, like, sort of like a boring president. Um, when you talk about like excitement and everything, because I feel like as far as campaigning is gone now, I feel like excitement is definitely what's been like wooing a lot of people to get into politics, even on both sides. Even like when Trump ran. The first time, you know, excitement is what like got a lot of his supporters. Anger, and, yeah, you know, right. yeah. whitewash. Yeah. <laughs> Just telling telling people what they want to hear, you know. But I also think that it is important that we hold the um, the candidates um, like accountable for you know representing us like they should, you know, because the black vote is so important. And, and you know, you have um, the majority of people that are like older black people that typically vote, and I know a lot of those people are typically Biden supporters. But I mean, regardless of who we support as a as a candidate, we have to make sure that we hold them accountable and we have to make sure that we, um, cause every candidate has had their flaws and, and, you know, where, you know, talk about like supporting the black community, but they've all had, you know, similar incidents where it could show like otherwise, or it can make a person think otherwise. So I think it's, it's a matter of taking a candidate as willing to accept the criticism and willing to like understand that, you know, the criticism is us telling them like what we need as a community, you know? And I think that's, what's going to be most important with uh, moving forward. We don't, I can just add, like, I feel like one of the biggest things is, like, we keep waiting on a candidate to excite the base when it's, like, the party's job and our and our jobs as members of our communities to excite the base. Like, whatever excite the base actually means. Like, you're supposed to vote because it affects you. Yeah. You don't right. vote because you found a candidate that you really love. Like, regardless, people stayed home in 2016, yeah. and that's why we got Trump. It wasn't like she won the popular vote, but there was a lot of places where there was less voter turnout or people were voting third party because they were upset about something. You know what I mean? But we have to remember what's most important. Like we're all affected by these policies. It's burning or nothing. Right. And we waiting on a candidate to excite us when we need to be like figuring out what it is that we care about and what it is that our community cares about. That's going to get them out to vote. You know, I I, want to get into this uh, Bernie Sanders thing. I, I don't I don't I don't know the craze behind. Bernie Sanders, but we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to get into this thing because he's not even a Democrat. I, 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 I'm like, how, how can.
can the Democrats be crazy Jeez. about Bernie Sanders? So we're going to get into that. And uh, I might make a few people mad, but that's all right. Hey. That's that's all right. <laughs> hey, uh, we might have some comments on the, uh, on the live. So we want to bring, if folks are talking, we want to bring them into the show too. So folks, hang in there. We'll be right back. Join us for the seventh annual night with Ralph Ellison Daily at the Oklahoma History Center, February 29th, 6 p.m. A night of fun, music, dance, and readings of Ellison's works. To purchase a ticket or a sponsorship, go to ralphellisonfoundation.org or call 405-788-0566. This is Jamie Limberg, host of Upbeat Urbanism, a podcast where we seek to have an open dialogue about what it takes to create healthy, intentional, sustainable communities, one conversation at a time. Each episode is an interview with a city planner, leader, developer, real estate professional, or community builder. To listen, search for Upbeat Urbanism wherever you find podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at UUrbanism and on Facebook at Upbeat Urbanism. Devote yourself to your community around you and devote yourself to creating something that gives you purpose and meaning. Until then, keep it upbeat. All right, we back. <laughs> yeah, we about to get a little deep in here. <laughs> We've been on the surface. That's all right. But we got a serious election coming up. We got some folks vying for your vote, the black vote. And I have to be honest with you. If you if if you said over the course of uh, the last several presidents, how has the black community fared? Just look in your community. We still have food deserts. We have the highest unemployment rate among any race especially black males. Let's talk about incarceration rates, um, mass incarceration, right? Let's talk about education. We could talk about health statistics. I mean, all of that is plaguing the black community. So we cannot say <laughs> that any president, no matter how much we have liked them or adored them, has been the panacea for our community. Correct? Right. So, but this is what I'm saying. Bernie Sanders. Now, Bernie's been running for a long time. Yeah. And it's not that I don't I don't like Bernie Sanders. I do. But one thing I could never get past is his lack of commitment to being a Democrat. If he was gonna run as an independent, which we know he would not because he wouldn't win. You can't you can't win as a third party. That's been Ralph Nader tried that. That's been tried and failed. But why is he so accepted by Democrats when he will not even officially become a Democrat? Help me understand that. You want to start? <laughs> I 
I'll let you start. No, I mean you can start if you want uh, to. You look so here's like you so here's the thing. so first of all, like is he registered as a Democrat right now? Sure. What I'm upset about is that in 16 he said I'm well, a he Democrat. registered to run. Yeah, he registered because to run. he know he w- there's no other way he right. could win. So right. anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So in in 2016 he made the commitment that he was going to stay a Democrat, that he was going to ride with the Democrats, and then he turned around and filed as an independent again. And I was like, so like you lied to us, and I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, has he caucused with the Democrats? Yes, we all heard the same, you know, story that people give us. He's caucused with the Democrats. He he's he's left leaning. All of that sounds good. Um, but I'm a party officer now, right? So I sit on the executive committee of the DNC. I'm a national party officer. What we saw, and and I'll take a shot at Obama here. Is when Obama was president, he had uh, his separate organization, uh, OFA. Mm-hmm. And that hurt the DNC because so many resources and talent and money was going over to OFA that it wasn't going to the DNC. I think Bernie would probably do the same thing. He'd have his own organization. It's not going to revitalize the party. It's not going to restructure the party. It's not going to turn the party into something where we went in across the board. Because unfortunately, in a lot of places, that message just doesn't resonate. You're not going to have an AOC get elected in Oklahoma. And that doesn't mean that what she's saying isn't good. I think that a lot of what Bernie's saying is good. But what we have to understand and accept is that the president doesn't have that much power. It's Congress. And so if you want to. No, the president got much power now. Okay, and and theoretically he should not have, but he's operating outside of his ability uh, in the past. So uh, we 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 virtually have a king now. But go ahead, I I understand what you're saying. Checks and balances took a took a real big hit. Um, But even even with Trump, you know, even some of the policies that he's wanted to do, like getting a wall built or removing uh, Roe v. Wade. Like, even when he had both houses, he still wasn't able to push that legislation through. And so, like, them two things, especially, him not getting the wall is a very great example of how the president doesn't have all the power that they think they have. And so, Bernie Sanders has all of these ideas, but Hillary Clinton was very honest, and she was like, the senators don't like him. Only one of them endorsed him. She was like, how is he going to get anything done? And I think that's the realest question that we can ask. Shoot for the moon. Hope that we land somewhere in the middle. But I I don't personally feel confident with him being the head of the Democratic Party that the Democratic Party is going to grow where it needs to grow. So, Sage, uh, tell us why uh, there's such a, um, a love for Bernie Sanders. Well, um, at least for me back in 2016 and even now, like his policies resonate more with what the party needs, what America needs really. But, um, cause I do consider myself more of a democratic socialist. I didn't say socialist just in case somebody on the face, on the interwebs would say, she said she was a socialist. She's a communist. <laughs> but, um, but I think that's why, um, a lot of people like him, but, um, with the whole Democrat <clears throat> situation, being him, being registered as a Democrat and acknowledging himself as a Democrat. In my opinion, he's more of a Democrat than half of these people in the Senate, especially, you know, these senators that are, that were like with the impeachment, you know, there was some of them, um, one from Arizona cinema, you know, they didn't know if they were going to vote for impeachment. That wasn't even a question with Bernie, with somebody like him. And even with other bills where he's been, more in tune with the party there's been democrats that have not even acted as democrats so you know before people get mad at him about 
wanting to stay an independent. It's like you got Democrats who shouldn't even be in their seats. Like we need to primary them. I'm a big supporter of primaries because if you're not doing your job and we giving you two terms or so, I don't even think they should have multiple terms because if you're not doing the job and you're continuing to vote against the interests of the people and of the party and of these demographics, then you need to be voted out point blank period so and that's why we have the aocs and folks like that you know i mean they you know are willing to push the needle they're willing to speak out more and so mm. that's my thoughts on that gotcha DeAndre. you know bernie Sanders is interesting um as a college student you know a young person um the things that bernie Sanders says obviously you know is something that you know we like to hear we talk about the idea of free college and, and medicare for all and you know relieving people of like student loan debt you know that's a really big one um you know a lot of those things sound great but also like what josh is saying too um at the same time you know when you like realistically speaking you know a person that far left um isn't isn't necessarily going to sway a lot of voters who may be undecided or even like moderate per se you know um and i think it's going to be hard for him to win in a general election in my opinion, I think, uh, like in a state like Oklahoma, you know, it's not gonna, not too many people are gonna. Yeah, he have, he doesn't have a chance. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, I know Democrat yeah. does here, really. Yeah. <clears throat> but you, you, this is what the Republican Party does. They stick together. Facts. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm gonna be yeah. honest with you. I mean, we, the Democrats are a party, a party of ideas. Um, the Republicans are the party of one idea, win, at all costs. And there's a certain intellectual flair that happens in the Democratic Party, right? The philosophical idea of thinking about policy and life. And Republicans say, we want to win. So how do we win? We have one message. We get behind one person. And no matter what this person does, right, this person can can seek to have his rival, political rival, prosecuted by a foreign government. One message. Yeah. Why? Because we want to win. We want to maintain power. And until I, I believe there is, you know, there there, there is good, there, you know, Maybe there was a time. Now, I'm, I'm old, but I'm not that old. But maybe <laughs> there was a time in politics where, you know, the, the, the ideologies and the great debates, they happened in the halls, and then people came out and compromised and did what they needed to do. That's not the history that I know. The history I know is it's, it's been divided. Let's go back to the 60s. Let's go back. Let's go even farther back to Reconstruction, Right. Right. Let's go back to the fact that black people were three fifths of people of a person. We we have a. I, I think there is this this skewed understanding of what America has been, and there's a party that is reaching to shape America into that fantasy, and there's a party that's saying we're going to keep America the same way it's always been. Right. So I that's 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 what we are faced with today. And, 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 and I think until we acknowledge that the Democratic Party is just not in unity, they're not in unity enough to win at this point. I'm not saying they can. They've had great leaders. Hillary was great. 
Let's be honest. I, the people didn't like Hillary. Hillary made decisions that she had to make. We all make decisions that we would go back and change in our lives, but we all don't have a political record, right? And when if you were in politics as long as Hillary was, guess what? You're going to have some criticisms. It's just it's just the way it is. You can't be in there long enough. Obama's great thing was he wasn't in the Senate long. <laughs> he didn't have a long record to criticize, right? Sure. But McCain did, right? Right? I mean, that's, 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 we have to understand that. But uh, let me toss in another name, Elizabeth Warren. She's an Okie, right? Yeah. Right? That's what she says. <laughs> so, what do you think about Elizabeth Warren? I mean, she has the same sort of, she's a Democrat, and she has the same policies, <laughs> just about verbatim, of Bernie Sanders. And on top of that, she could be our first female president. So she's got the same policies, almost verbatim. And she has the potential to be the first female president. And she's from Oklahoma. Wouldn't that excite you? Talk to me. I just get used to going first, I guess. Um, so I like Elizabeth Warren. I think she's the more practical version of Bernie Sanders. Everything she talks about, like her big thing is I got a plan, right? When she was like, I'm not just going to talk about this idea. I'm going to say this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to pay for it. And I love that. I think that Elizabeth Warren's biggest issue is the same issue that Hillary Clinton has, and that's that she's a woman. And we honestly live in a very misogynistic country. And uh, whereas her qualifications are there, she's got the ideas, she's got the relationship, she can make stuff happen. There's a lot of very sexist people in this country who is like, I don't know if we're ready for a female president. And so that really, one, bothers me because you can't uh, knock the woman's intelligence. You know what I mean? She's been doing this for a long time and she's been very effective at it. But you have so many people who are just uh, are non-starters. And I think that we're seeing... What happened in 2016 happened again where we villainize the people that we don't like, especially, unfortunately, the Bernie camp, uh, because the Russians, the out of the, you know, the out of state, the Republicans, the people who want to target some people, they go after the Bernie crowd and they try to turn them into a mob against whoever uh, they feel like is doing the best. Mm. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who just got involved with politics back in 2016 who take that bait and they end up attacking Democrats. I'm so tired of, of the attacks. These, even these debates haven't been like interesting because they haven't been policy driven. Mm. Everybody been saying the same thing over and over again. Nobody's telling us really how we going to do it. Nobody's telling us really how we going to beat Trump. Nobody's telling us uh, what their plan is to, you know, bring out the vote. They, everybody thinks that they just going to excite us by winning. And it's just like, I'm, I am really still at an undecided point uh, for these candidates because nobody has said, the, what I needed to hear in order for me to just rock with them 100%. Yeah. You know, can I say something? I, Absolutely. I, I kind of agree to the point that you're making. You know, the I think we have to, I think politics have to get from a shift of like trying to excite people mm-hmm. and to be more focused on actually like making like policies and things that are going to like actually matter. Like even for example, like when Nancy Pelosi ripped up like the, the speech or whatever, like that's great and all, you know, it got a lot of people excited, but I mean, how productive is that going to be for us, like, moving forward, you know, and I think, you know, the way this, like, campaigning and stuff is gone, you know, a lot of people are attacking each other, like, 
like in a very like divisive way. And mm-hmm. I think that it's going to be hard for us moving forward if we keep worrying about like what's going to excite us rather than like the actual policies that are going to affect us as a people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Elizabeth Warren says. Um, I don't have too many comments. Uh, I'm trying like not to get myself in trouble. Okay. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but so, I mean, I like her. All right. Um, her ideas, I had almost had to do the Bernie finger. <laughs> like her ideas are not almost. Identical. I mean, they're they're similar to Bernie's, mm-hmm. but like you know, the Medicare for all and all that. She's like kind of backtracked on that. So I just want to put that in there. Like it's not Medicare for all now. It's like watered down version. But um, one biggest thing about Warren, and I know like some people will probably think I'm beating a dead horse, but this is like a community that. Um, her campaign can potentially alienate and that's the native community because um, as all you all know as you all know she did claim to be Cherokee in Delaware at least that's what was told to her you know when she was growing up um, and while she was here in Oklahoma from what I understand she didn't meet with the Cherokee Nation now like there were probably reasons for that like on both ends but I think that that could be an issue for her and it's not just her but also other candidates that like Mayor Pete um, he doesn't have the best relationship with the black community, yeah. you know, for several reasons. Um, in the Bernie camp, when I worked for him in 2016, like I had many complaints about their outreach to black and brown communities. Like it just wasn't like, at least here, it wasn't the best, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, and, but if it weren't somebody like me, who's from Northeast Oklahoma city to like, kind of be that liaison, you know, like one volunteer could say something crazy to a black elder. I'll have to go to that black elder and be like, oh, well, you know, this is what the campaign's about and then smooth that over. Um, that's like happening across the board and it's not good. And it's not just with him, but it's with all of them. And from the debate that we watched on Friday, that just showed me, with the exception of Steyer, you know, like a lot of these candidates are still very tone deaf <coughs> on issues of race and how to handle them. So, um, well, I would just say, oh, go on. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I think I, I was just going to piggyback on your point is mm-hmm. yes, they, uh, there's no people of color up there. Right. Facts. To talk about <laughs> the issues the way they need to be. <laughs> Very obvious. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, you know, it's like if we were in Japan and we were up on stage talking about the Japanese issues, uh, I think we would be in the dark, right? You don't have a representation <laughs> up there. Um, we do have a, a comment. Uh, we're going to take a break, but we're going to come back. We have a comment oh, that yes. uh, is um, a, a word of encouragement in a comment, and it's directed toward uh, Seisha here. So we're going to take that. Have a break, having a great discussion, man. But I, 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 I think we got to get a little deeper. Y'all look like y'all. <laughs> huh? Huh? Y'all gonna have jobs when y'all leave here? Oh yeah, because I can't employ you. My boy, you know. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, Richard, Richard, right here. I think he hiring at the studio. But other than that, we might y'all. <laughs> well, folks, I think hang this in one there. Has to be the most <laughs> Hang in there, folks. We'll be right back.
Oklahoma Humanities Brain Box podcast uses the humanities to take listeners on a deep dive into the issues affecting American society and culture. Join some of Oklahoma's most interesting and knowledgeable humanities scholars to explore how history, literature, ethics, philosophy, and other humanities fields inform our understanding of current events and the human experience. And to find the Brain Box podcast, simply search Brain Box podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, and any other podcasting library. If you have any ideas or comments rattling around in your noggin, email us at brainbox at okhumanities.org. This is Dr. Laura Gillat, and when I listen to podcasts, I always listen to the One Mic, One Voice show. Right, back in the studio. Yeah, DeAndre, Shasha, Josh, they laying it down. Um, we have let's over the break. We we put down some ground rules. They told me, look, this is what you got to do. You can't go. This is this is the wall. It ain't Trump's wall, but it's our wall. So uh, I'm gonna behave myself. But we have a comment from Lisa that says, "Love the work you guys are doing." Keeps me hopeful. Stacey, can you fill me in on HOKHB3359? So, um, hold up, I'm on Facebook. Apparently, that's the, uh, I'll just read it as it is. It's House Bill 3359 by uh, Representative Smith, um, an act relating to criminal procedure authorizing peace officers to stop and detain persons under certain circumstances requiring detained person to provide certain information, <clears throat> authorizing further detention if necessary, providing for the release or arrest of detained person. Um, yeah, basically it's a stop and frisk mm-hmm. bill. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's up. That's, 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 yeah. that's been introduced, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, we, we've seen how that uh, show has played out in the past. Um and it never works out for black and brown uh, folk, especially black and brown males. Uh, you know, they already do that now anyway, but this gives them a license to uh, to do it even further without retribution in a lot of cases. Um, so that's something we need to be aware of. And I'm sure, um, you know, I don't know what Jason or, or um, George is, you know, but you, you might want to. Yeah, so um, I don't know of any like organizing there. I'm, I'm sure they're aware of it and pushing back on it, but um, yeah, like it's that's going to affect primarily places like Northeast OKC, North Tulsa, South OKC. So um, I know Young Democrats of Oklahoma has been putting out um, under Leandre's um, leadership, putting out graphics um, in support and against certain bills. Um, we just had one out um, against the anti-choice bill that they had, which passed. Um, so that's a battle right there. But um, I guess it has to go to the Senate now. But, and what um, was that bill? It was um, – hold on, give my pretty little graphic up. I'm just so proud of them because I made them. <laughs> <laughs> While we waiting uh, on that. Yeah. I'll say uh, mm-hmm. to add to that um, – mm-hmm. I think what uh, Jason did in introducing that veto referendum mm-hmm. last go around, 
like you're going to have bills like this and we got a super majority of Republicans. So we might not be able to stop them there. But if we got to start using these veto referendums to put it to a vote of the people so that the people can start until we vote these folks out, of course, um, so that the people can start making their voices heard. then I think that's that's a good strategy. Oh, it, It definitely is. It's the best strategy. Yeah, it was House Bill 1182. And um, groups like OCRJ, which is Oklahoma Coalition for Reproductive Justice and Planned Parenthood, of course, have been pushing out um, pushing out graphics and information for the public, you know, to call their reps. But um, I mean, it passed, unfortunately. Um, But yeah, like Josh said, like the veto referendum um, thing that Jason was doing and then also with permitless carry and then also just in general, like the state questions, because we're going to have about what, six or seven maybe eight <laughs> on the ballots um, coming up. So um, I think that's what we're going to have to do since we do have that super majority and half of them, like, I don't know what's wrong with them. Like they just want to push out extreme bills to where you're like alienating half of the demographic. I mean, it's just pathetic, but um, what I mean, the, the, yeah. the thing is, um, and I, I, I do, I do not want to get into the mindset of one that votes that way. But mm-hmm. what I will say is it perpetuates the status quo, mm-hmm. right? And um, it's the long game, too, because if I can establish a systemic oppression over people, then nothing changes, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a strategy that works in their favor and their grandchildren's favor. That's what you have to understand. This is not about today. It's about the long-range strategy. And I think Republicans in general are good at long-range strategic planning, as, as we call it. And I think uh, a lot of liberal folks look at what is happening now, not realizing that policies and procedures are going to either perpetuate or change it, right? Because you can change. I mean, let's look. We, we, look, look at public schools. Public schools are, are basically segregated. Brown versus the Board of Education was when? Okay. Right? Right? So, 1954, right? So, what has happened since then, right? Um, Policies and laws and and neighborhood schools and all of those things have been put in place to reverse that decision. And so, I think we have to, again, you got to rethink. You got to rethink. If, if, if we're not in a day and age where we have to rethink politics and strategy, we have lost because what has because what we have been working on has done what? Failed. It's failed. So if, if you don't think you need to rethink it, yeah. then I think you you're, you're part of you're part of the problem. So but let's get down to I want to I want to jump into the black community for a moment. Why is it when when um, our foremothers and forefathers died to cast their vote, fought to register people, people were assassinated, Mega Evers? Why do we, why is there such a disconnect in the modern day society among not 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 necessarily older black folks? But young black folks, why is there not the desire to get out 
and vote. So I'll say, first and foremost, that, you know, there is this um, this idea with young people that our vote doesn't matter, right? But what I always say when somebody brings that up is I was like, who told them that? Because you didn't just wake up one day and think that your vote didn't matter. Somebody indoctrinated you into believing that your vote didn't matter. And we know who did it and we know why they did it. It was very intentional because when young people and when African-Americans turn out the vote, then a lot of Republicans lose. So if I can find a way to infiltrate that community and get them to not believe that their vote matters, then I know that I can stay in power. And so one of the number one things that we work on and that we do is try to push young people into believing that their vote matters and showing them why. But we spend so much time focusing on the presidential election, which, like you said earlier, has the Electoral College. And we've seen two presidents now uh, who won the popular vote not get elected. Mm -hmm. And then people were like, well, what's the point? But I'm like, literally, and I ran for Congress. I tell everybody, and I said this while I was running for Congress, literally in every single other election, your vote matters. One vote can be the difference between somebody getting elected and somebody losing. Uh, Senator Allison Likely Freeman won by 25 votes. Kendra Horn won by like 3,000 votes. Like, that's the difference between like one community showing up and casting their votes for a person, and then we get better representation. So, like, we have to. We have to quit pretending like it's young people and black people's fault that they don't believe their uh, vote doesn't matter because somebody forced them to believe that. And somebody worked in and, and a, a generation worked really hard. And that's why so many of our ancestors fought and died for our right to vote, because there were so many people then trying to take it away. And the reality is there are so many people now doing the same. Yeah. Voter um, suppression is real. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I feel like another part of it, too, is also how it's taught in school, you know, um, just thinking about it in general, like, you learn about politics, you learn about, like, the president, and you learn about the three branches of government, and you think about all these people at a national level. And even though, like, we do have, like, Congress, which is, like, a local election, you know? And I think a lot of it, you know, is, it's very complicated for people to get involved, like, with voting, but I think, like, the awareness of understanding that, like, local politics and stuff like that matters almost a lot more than, like, the, the national politics, and that those are the elections where it's coming down to 3,000 votes, less than 100 votes. You know, and I think that's very important that, you know, you know, we have to realize as a community, you know, we have to get out and, and vote in those numbers and the numbers that we have, especially with young people. You know, I have this conversation with all my friends all the time. It's like I'm, I'm the one like out of the friend group that's always like, you know, hey, you guys should go out and vote. And it's always like, the, you know, I'm not that interested in politics. It's like, well, you know, we all have this conversation about oppression as young people. And it's like, well, the people that that put that in place for it to be an oppressive system do get into politics and they're making decisions about our lives like on a daily basis. And a lot of people don't even like know what's going on. A lot of people can't even tell you who their local um, state representative is or or councilman or councilwoman, you know, and that's a very big issue because those are the issues that are literally affecting you directly as a person in the neighborhood that you live in. Yeah. Well, I didn't have much more to add to other than they're 100% hitting the nail on the head, but, uh, one thing I also tell my peers is I went to Douglas, you know, and I talked to uh, several of them to this day and I tell them, you know, we control who represents us. I mean, back when Councilwoman Nice ran, like, I mean, that runoff that she had was literally against somebody who does not represent our community, like physically, like, st- you know, like stance wise. Like, I mean, we almost had someone elected that did not represent us. So it's like. You know, it's 
you have and then of course like some of them were frightened by that fact but i'm like well you guys were so dormant you know up until this fact you shouldn't have to take nikki's election for you all to care like i mean this is happening across the board i mean there's been several reps that have represented well not several reps i'm not gonna say in the house representatives but in general politicians that have not necessarily represented what was best for northeast oklahoma city that still got elected so you know, we just have to keep in mind it shouldn't have to take a Trump, you know, or like somebody who literally does not represent Northeast Oklahoma City or North Tulsa or any of these other black and brown communities for us to start paying attention because by then it's too late. So, and, and let me, for young people specifically, to, to piggyback off of what Leandre was saying, mm-hmm. like the youth voting block is the largest voting block this election cycle. Yep. And what we saw in 2018 when there was huge uh, youth turnout was that we won the house back, mm-hmm. right? And we won a lot of other races where we, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to get them in, and we saw good representation get elected. The turnout for youth was only 31%. Yeah. It was record-breaking, but it was only 31%. Now, we take that number and we double it even. That's still not 100% or close to being 100%. Uh, if it was a grade, it'd be a D, right? <laughs> but C minus. <laughs> <laughs> But um, we need that kind of turnout in 2020. And the the biggest issue that I have with all these candidates is we are talking about young people. We're talking about youth issues, but we're not talking to young communities directly and saying this is how we're going to engage you. Some candidates are better than others, but for a lot of candidates, they feel like, well, um, if I was on a college campus once, then that's good enough. Or if I send my surrogate to have a youth happy hour or a young professionals meeting, then that's good enough. Like, no, this, our generation is going to be the ones who are dictating whether or not Trump gets four more years. There's a lot of people who are going to show up for, for the Democrat. There's a lot of people who are going to show up for the Republican, but who young people show up for is going to make the difference in between who gets elected, especially when you talk about the geography of where these people are at. You need rural state, young people to show up and cast their ballots to make sure that we have the representation that we need. And if we, and if we don't, if we can't beat Trump and we don't get the Senate, then I don't know how we're going to survive the next four years. Well, you know, all of you have said a mouthful uh, voting is a right. <laughs> yeah. And I think we don't see it as a right. Uh, I think we see it as a sort of option for us. And uh, and that's dangerous when um, someone says, well, I'm not into politics. You don't have to be into politics. Right. You know, maybe a person that you're not into cars, but you drive. Right. (laughs) Right. Because it gets you to and fro. right? Right. Right. You don't have to be into it. Right. You have to understand that it is your right. And every time you give up that right. You know, you're putting your community, yourself, in peril. And so it's very important. Um, I mean, and, and, and the truth is, what, what Josh, what you, you, you pointed out is, it's the same thing, with, not just with young people, but with minority people. They talk about us, but never to us. I mean, that's that's it, it all sounds good on the national stage, how we need to do this and how we need to do that. But every election cycle i've been around here a little bit longer it's the same old thing and it's hard to breathe hope into the hopeless 
when nothing changes, when everything stays the same, right? Um, that's the challenge because until we see substantial change and that your participation matters, this is this is the fault of the Democrats because they, they're the party that make up minority. They're supposed to be the diverse, inclusive party. But when election after election, people's lives don't change, how do you expect for them to come out and say, cha-ching, I want to give you another four years, right? It's not about what Trump can do or not do. It's about what they're not delivering on. And until they internalize that message and get in the office and start coming to the black community, coming to black folks and start making things happen in the Latino community and other communities, you're going to get more of the same. But I, I, I fundamentally agree with that. And I think uh, during the debate, Elizabeth Warren threw some good shade and she was like, uh, you got to show up in black communities when it's not election time. Mm -hmm. And this reminds me of a candidate. I won't mention their name, uh, <laughs> but me and Sasha, uh was showing a candidate around and we were taking them to a lot of uh, black events and introducing them to people and really putting them on. And like people were surprised to see them. And you haven't seen that person really coming back into those communities uh, since they got elected. And it's like they try to do one event here or one event there. But no, like you wasn't trying to host an event and expecting people to come to you. You was going to the people when you were trying to get elected. Now you feel like because you're elected the people, and for black people, especially like just because we elected you don't mean that we're going to support you forever. We got some questions on day two. If day one didn't go the way we wanted, day two, we got some questions. And so I think a lot of uh, Democrats take for granted the African-American vote. We have to we have to actually start being intentional on on representation. And that means you got to be in the community. Uh, I remember there was this candidate was like, you know, how, or when I was running, they were like, don't you scared to, to campaign in different parts of the second district? I was like, if I'm scared of the district, then I shouldn't represent it. Right. You got to be everywhere. You got to be in there. You'll see uh, the mayor will be at ICE chilling with his kids. Yes. I was like, <laughs> that's why that man won. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're willing to be in the places in your community where mm -hmm. people are surprised to see you, then that means you're doing real representation. Right. I ain't going to give him too much credit because he's still Republican, but but I'm going to say I definitely see a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the stuff that he does, and, and he is very intentional on he being is. all throughout the city of Oklahoma. You represent everybody. Right. That's that's the key. And uh, if, I get, if I was running, my, my slogan would be, it's about to change. Mm -hmm. Right? If I was running, it's about to change. Are you planning on running? You've been trying oh, no. to get I was like, we can. No, sir. We can. No, you got a whole yeah, campaign I mean, got a staff whole, right no, no. here. You got a whole field director I need, right here. I, I need six bulletproof vests. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you from Milwaukee. You'll be fine. <laughs> well, I tell you what, man. This this has been a uh, a thrill to have all three of you here. I think everything that you have spoken uh, has been spoken with a, a level of authenticity out of your experience out of your desire to make our country better. You have excelled in just about everything you've put your your hand to. 
that an example to other young, not just black, but youth, young adults. I'm very proud of you. I know all three of you very personally. And um, if this is a representation of what leadership looks like, we're in good hands moving forward. Uh, and then maybe all hope is not lost <laughs> and we will weather the storm because truly um, you guys are making a difference. And I appreciate you being here with us today. And as always, folks, I tell you, it's uh, it's it's great to understand where you fit in this society. We have a very important election coming up. It's going to take all of us to decide what direction we go. This is what it's about, your decision. It might be on the, the, the a micro, but it's part of the full canvas. And what will that picture look like? Because one thing we know is that the future will come, and it's coming soon. Because history will speak of us. Somewhere in the distant future, a scribe will reach down deep into the archives of our time. And what will she find? Will she discover that we overcame our differences? Will she find that out of many, we became one? Or will she find that we solved nothing and remain a divided peoples? Yes, history will speak of us. You can change the world, We can make a difference if we try. We can be the change that's in our life. All we gotta do is work together. We gotta raise our children better. We gotta stop the hate, stop the hate, and spread the love. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one voice. You can change the world, it's your choice. One mic, one Thank you for downloading the One Mic, One Voice show. This episode is brought to you by Blackened Studios. To learn more about Blackened Studios, go to blackenstudios.com or visit their Facebook page. The views and opinions of the One Mic, One Voice podcast show do not reflect the views of Blackened Studios or our other sponsors.